And welcome back to post-game content. My name is Michael. As you might know, I am here with my co-host, a luscious co-host, the man, a luscious, <laughs> the man, the mustache, the legend, Max Zenglein. How you doing, man? I'm good. How are you, Michael? <laughs> Hanging in there. It's a it's a wonderful Monday night. Um, I am. Like, I know we kind of talked about it pre-show i am currently playing through the 2018 god of war that released on pc i am very much enjoying my time with it so good are you learning how to be a dad um i think it's helping me frame my anger (laughs) (laughs) In in a in a way that might um teaches me to use it more it's mm-hmm. like one of those things that it's like control yourself, but then can't do it. So just like a, a hypocritical dad. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> it's uh, it's so me. It's that's so a, me. <laughs> that's a great way to look at it. I like that a lot. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's fantastic. If anyone out there, um, it, this is a glowing endorsement coming from me because I was like, I was the guy that was super anti God of War, like growing up in the early God of War, the PlayStation 2 and the mm-hmm. PlayStation 3 iteration of it. Um, too hack and slashy for me. Not enough good, juicy story. Just It was a story, but it was a little... It was hack and slash as well. It was um, a little bit... It was ridiculous. And I'm, I, by the way, I'm very much the same way, where the first three God of War games, I think, were just, just not my bag. And this one really resonated with me. Yeah, I don't, what was it that you said the other day? That uh, something about how they managed to transform Kratos. It it perfectly sums it up. Kratos was such an asshole, just an irredeemable dickhead in the first three games, with zero character depth and just all about violence. And how they were, this team was able to take that like cartoonish level of of violence and turn him into a nuanced character with a lot of emotional depth and like who's mostly I think at this point and correct me if I'm wrong here more fueled by regret than anger at this point is a really it's 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 quite a character evolution it's quite the glow up yeah (laughs) his drip is fantastic Um, one you're not wrong (laughs) um yeah, it's it's great. I don't want to spend too much time talking about God of War because that is not the game we're here to talk about today. No, um, it is not. But it's great. I highly recommend you check it out uh, now that it's available on more than just PlayStation. So mm-hmm. um, that being said, Max, uh, you know, I know I kind of did this last time, but I, and I got to reiterate. I mean, we're we're less than three weeks out from Elden Ring. How you doing? <sighs> are you shaking yet? Are you are you like maintaining your composure? <laughs> It's, it, I'll be honest, it's the first thing I think of when I wake up in the morning. Like, it, <laughs> I, I'm getting that, like, countdown to Christmas kind of vibe. Yes. Know? Yes. And yeah, this and is, go ahead. Go ahead. This one's been tough because I've tried to keep myself much more blind than I generally would go into most video game releases. You know, where generally I'm, you know, reading interviews and, and watching trailers. And obviously they had, like... Um, the beta test that was out a few months ago. So there's a ton of, of footage flying around and I'm trying to like keep myself locked out of all of that. Um, yeah. so there's hype, but I have nothing to do with it. 
Yeah. <laughs> I don't it's it's kind of funny cuz like I'm in the same boat. I haven't watched a, a single stream network test anything. I watched that like gameplay footage that they put out. Mm-hmm. I think both you and I watched that. Yeah. Um but I mean that was months ago. Right. And then um really the only thing that I've seen on it is some artwork. Um because they finally came out with the Soul Arts digital edition. The physicals haven't shipped yet, but the digital copies are done. Um, and I looked through some of the artwork for the, for the game, but it was just a few pages cause I started looking through it and had that same knee jerk reaction. No, no, I'm going to, I'm going right. <laughs> to wait. I'll get back to this later. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, I'm super stoked that. And then I, listen, I, I have to say this cause, and I, I don't know if I said this the other day and I know we've probably talked about this at some point before. Uh, obviously I'm like, I'm a big horizon fan and I know you, uh, t- touched it briefly before you picked up inscription, um, but Horizon's coming out here actually oh, next yeah. week. Wow, pretty pretty stoked about that. So, like, it's funny because when the first Horizon came out, they had just such awful timing because they were butted up right up against Breath of the Wild. Nobody that's, played Horizon before they played Breath of the Wild. Nobody. Yeah, that's that's tough. And and, and then, now they're running into the same thing. <laughs> Not intentionally, though, because they were like, oh, shit, Elden Ring's coming out in January. We're going to put our game in February. And Elden (laughs) Ring's like, just kidding. So, they, dude, they just can't catch a break. Poor poor Gorilla Games. Miyazaki just hates Gorilla Games, yeah. (laughs) Probably because they don't have nice feet. (laughs) He's a foot guy. We all know it. Go touch some grass, Miyazaki. (laughs) Oh, man. But, yeah, so that's, that's like the gauge of my calendar. My internal clock is not... You know, there's no vacation, nothing. It's how many days until Elden, Elden Ring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we're all feeling the same way right now. <laughs> um, but again, Elden Ring's not what we're here to, today to talk about. We're going to talk about a little gem that was recommended to me by a couple friends of mine. Um, and honestly, it took me months to get to it because I had no intention of touching it at all. Um, I was in a gaming slump, needed something, and boy, oh boy, am I glad I did because we are here to talk about uh, Death's Door. Um, first of all, marvelous game. Like, just, it's an artsy-fartsy fucking isometric Zelda-like game. Um, yeah. So that's like just a just a no pun intended a top down description of of the game looking at it from hey. inside of a window. Um I really wanted to do this game because this game actually in the way that it's created kind of embodies the point of what this show is. You know, we, when we talked about what our vision for the show was, it was very much a we want to whenever you finish a game, we want to be able to you get that feeling like, oh my God, I just need more. Like I want more information. I want to talk about this with someone, mm-hmm. you know, and this game has that, uh, I think in a nutshell, just in the way that it's created. Also, it has like really good, you know, nope, like not to be too literal here, but like really good post game content, um, mm-hmm. in, the, in what it actually offers the player. So I think this game like fits perfectly for the the narrative of the show but also it was it was just fantastic so um just kind of jump into this so this is just a little um i don't want to say indie because i mean the the launch of this game got is not at all like indie level launch 
It's tough but, whenever I think we talk about Devolver Digital, right? Because all of their games look like indie projects, despite the fact that, I don't know if they're a gigantic company, but they are absolutely like the number one guys who are operating in this space. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. Well, and it, well, it's funny because if you think about it, it's like, so it was made by the developer of the of right. this is an indie. It's two dudes in mm. the UK, and it's a company called Acid Nerve. They've made two games, this game and Titan Souls. The publisher, however, has made tons of games, like the one you just were playing, Descript- or Inscription, mm-hmm. My Friend Pedro, which was fantastic if you haven't played it. Uh, Enter the Gungeon, Serious Sam. I mean, those are all household names at this point. So it's kind of like how people were calling uh, Supergiant Games, the people who made Hades. They're right, still yeah. considered indie, but I mean, come on. How many blockbuster titles do you have to make before you're cons- not considered an indie company You anymore? look at the art assets on Hades and tell me that's an indie game. There yeah. is money going <laughs> into that. Come on. <laughs> yeah, and I, honestly, this is a lot of the same way. I mean, whenever I so- first saw the like the even the cover for this, I was like, okay, like I'm I'm interested because I had no clue what this game was. There was another game, ironically enough, that um, I had seen played. That was like an isometric top-down looking game, but it was more of like a dungeon crawler. And I had thought yeah. that was Death's Door. And then whenever I got into this, I was pleasantly surprised because that was not this game. Um, so we'll just kind of jump into what this game is and the plot and kind of go into it if you're ready. If there's anything else you want to say before we do. No, absolutely. I'm I'm really excited to talk about this game. Um, this is a recommendation for me from Michael, and I tore through it. Uh, this game is a treat. Yeah. I've <laughs> um, so if from this point on, we're going to be spoiling the game's story. We're going to be spoiling pretty much everything you could find out about, about this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so hopefully, anyway, hopefully we get that in depth with it. But uh, So just keep that in mind if you don't want to pause it here you don't want it spoiled and come back later once you finished it and I, I think you'll enjoy it that much more like i said that fits the narrative of the show we want you to have these games under your belt and come here to get that extra uh that little extra that you need from the game uh, right. and that being said i wish this had happened before i paid money for the game as of january 20th the game is on game pass um so <laughs> treat yourself mm. if you don't already have game pass you're doing yourself a disservice it's uh, it's an incredible value. Absolutely. But Especially, yeah, if you're, if you're yeah. coming to the show for a recommendation, consider this a recommendation. Go play this game, beat it, and then come <laughs> back and we'll talk about it. <laughs> it's like, like last episode Village when we're like, you know what? We cannot absolutely at all recommend Village. Go play Village. <laughs> exactly. Fuck Resident Evil. Go play Resident <laughs> Evil. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so this game is, like, really whimsical and witty, like, from the very get-go. So you mm-hmm. play as a, a a crow, I believe. Yep. Uh, crow, I could never determine if it was a crow or a raven, but then I realized that I need to read. Um, and <laughs> So you play as a, a little crow, um, and you are a reaper of souls, and... Your job is to, you are assigned a contract or a soul that you need to go reap and then bring it back to the um, very, (laughs) the headquarters of the, you know, the soul reapers headquarters, which is very like um, noir 
in a way. In a way, it it's, is. It's it's very cool. It's um, it's super cool, and it's funny that like this game takes all of the like mysteries of the afterlife and converts it into a huge like bureaucracy. Like it's made up of pencil pushers <laughs> and guys in the field who have to go out sign paperwork at the end and then like to get your immortal mortal soul back. Like it, it, it's it, it's a very it, British sense of humor, I think. It is, and it's like it's funny because they're taking like it's that's a, that's a great way to put it because if you think about like how the it even in like Greek mythology, death is very transactional. You know, there's the money that's got to be put on the eyes to cross the river sticks, things like that. They really are just like, uh, you know, haphazardly jesting at all the major tropes, including, you know, up until recently just playing even God of war, I saw the giant crow bird yeah. eagle thing that's in, uh, that's in Helheim. And it was, that's a, a reference in the game too. So it just, it perfectly touches on like a lot of different cultures, and things like that up into including death. So <laughs> it's just, it's so whimsical. It's great. Um, and it doesn't take itself too seriously in any of these aspects. So um, if you, if, while you're listening to us talk about this, if there's just something that sounds like it's like, oh shit, like that's really heavy. It's not like <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's easy to digest. So, um, mm-hmm. so yeah, so you are assigned to go into the world and reap this demon's soul. I guess. And whenever you go into this small area, there's like this giant plant thing. And this game wastes no time. It's just like, hey, there you don't learn to fight. Here's a boss. But I like yeah. that because it teaches you how to play right off the get-go. Like, this is the expectation. If you can beat this, you're going to be fine. Um, totally combat, agree. Yeah, and it, it like grows with the boss. So it's like, here's how you roll. Here's how you move. Here's how you hit. Here's how you dodge. Like, and it just the natural progression of the battle system all in the the scope of this one little battle kind of opens itself up for the intro like it's it's very it's very well done mm-hmm. um so you fight and you beat this boss and the soul escapes or is stolen i can't quite remember which one but you don't get it and it's uh, stolen by by big crow man oh okay okay that's right you know, I don't think I even... I must have, like, looked away or something because I've played through it twice, mm-hmm. and I just don't remember that happening. <laughs> so, fuck me, right? Um, that makes sense, though, now that I'm thinking about the rest of the story. So, um, your soul... The soul is stolen by the big crow, man, and you go back to the headquarters, and they're like, wait, what? Your soul is stolen? Well, go find it. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Get your ass back out there and go get it. Um, <laughs> like you said, very, very transactional. Um, very in keeping with, you know, an adult job. (laughs) I, I don't care that you can't get this done. It needs to get done. (laughs) Oh, I'm having PTSD now. Thanks. (laughs) Um, yeah. So lo and behold, they open a door, which becomes a recurring major theme in this game. Um, a door kind of pops open and allows you to access the first area of the game. Um, if you take the time to kind of explore this area, it is all very, it's very black and white and gray, like this whole area. And it does a really good job of signifying, you know, the, uh, I wouldn't say like, um, what's it called? Uh, purgatory. I wouldn't say that, like, that's what it is, but just like the area between life and death. I mean, that's a good, 
does a good job of kind of portraying uh, the difference between, you know, color being life and the lack of color being death, I guess you could say. I think that's a uh, that's a really good point. Um, and the, the graveyard area, which serves as not quite a hub, but it is sort of, you know, where you'll access everything from the rest of the game. Um, it uses that that muted color scheme. I think that's a great way to put it to bridge the gap between the true black and white of the afterworld and and your home office and the lively bright colors of of everything outside of it yeah for sure yeah um yeah so i mean the game the game doesn't really waste any time with you it just kind of throws you into the world and um right away as you enter into the like the cemetery area of this game i mean the colors are bright and beautiful it's not cell shaded but it almost feels like that with how colorful the world really is um, and there's a lot of depth in every area of the map, whether it just be like the rocky cliffs off the edge or whether it just be the water itself or, um, I mean, even the, even though there's no layers of grass, but just the colors that they inject into the world, just make it feel so alive and very pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of the staple of this game. And they really hinge a lot of the, um, the creativity off of the colors in the world. The two things that like immediately come to mind when I think about Death's Door as a whole, having played through it a few times, are the colors of the world and the music. Mm-hmm. And both of those things right away, they hit you in the face, and both of them are very, very good. Um, to, and the, their commitment to their low-poly, cel-shaded art style, um, I think is so fitting. And for me it was very reminiscent of like early GameCube days. You know, Mm. I think there's a lot of wind waker in this game and the art style. Um, but it's, it's combined that with a, a isometric top down view. It gives it a look that is, I, I think unique. Um, you know, it's, it's an art style all its own and it, it works beautifully. Yeah, I mean, th- thinking about that specifically, I can't really think of another game that captures that level throughout consistently throughout the game that level of of color and creativity because you'll have those those big open scapes of like grass and rock and things like that where it's just a few colors but that are still really well done. But then you get into like these big intricately designed bosses, especially the castle boss, and then as you start to like hammer it away, it's get like it gets like the cracks and the purple lines and stuff, mm-hmm. and it just it just looks so cool. And there's just so much more depth in those than there is in the world itself. So it just goes to show that like this, the creativity that this team has and how they're they're not single faceted. They have a lot of expertise in what they're doing, and they really can you know bring these colors out to. I mean, it makes everything pop. Absolutely. And um just keeping on that on that cadence regarding the creativity the music in this game i i liken it a lot to what i said about metroid dread the music carries you through the game the entire time and it matches the environments really well whether you're on the um like the mountain area near the sea where you find jefferson or where you're out uh, in the gardens where it's just more peaceful, or if you're even right in the area of the cemetery where you're you're just learning about the world and it's very uh, mysterious yet upbeat to like mm-hmm. keep you keep you moving. It flows with you the entire game, and I, I have a lot of appreciation for games that can 
keep me focused on the soundtrack, but the music can keep me flowing and interested and continuing to explore. Never, never got stale to me. No, definitely not. And on the, uh, a real highlight for me is all of the, um, battle music during this game, Mm. which ups the tempo so much. Um, and really gives a sense of, of weight and direction behind these fights where I felt, you know, like I was rushing and running around everywhere just because the music felt like it had really upped the tempo a lot um, I mean, yeah. and made the fights feel a lot more frantic. Looking at like the catalog of Devolver Digital as a whole, mm. they're really good at that. Yeah, they get I've really played, good artists. I've never played Inscription but I've heard great things about the music and the, the tempo and the flow of that game. I've played my friend Pedro, Enter mm-hmm. the Gungeon, this game. I mean, all of them have great soundtracks that just are designed. I know that's generally the idea of music in a game is designed to keep you flowing with it, but the tempo of the music just is, they're always so perfect. So yeah. real huge shout out to Devolver Digital for nailing this. If that was your decision, I, I assume it was <laughs> part of that. And um, if it regardless. wasn't, fuck you guys. <laughs> if not, then the credit goes to Acid Nerve and fuck you, Devolver Digital. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so um, just continuing on with the story here. So uh, you meet the Gravedigger, and he asks you to kill him. This is important <laughs> just for the kind of the end game uh, pieces of this uh, the story, too. Um, but this is, I like this because it ties in later. Uh, and I don't know if you got to that point because I don't. I don't think you did the the bonus. Did you do the bonus ending? I did. Okay. I, okay. I hundred percent of this one. Yep. Okay. Awesome. Um, so right at the beginning of the game, you meet this character, and he is this whole area you're in is the graveyard, and he is the grave digger, and he asks you, "Can you please just kill me? Because I've been living way too long, and uh, it's kind of morose and sad, but it also is it." it matches the rest of the the funny tone of the game. Yeah, you also have to match that with the fact that this character's name is uh, Stedhone. Sted. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> you know, I never noticed his name was Stedhone. Now that you're saying it, <laughs> I always just read it as Headstone. Yeah, the, no. The, every name in this game is ridiculous. They're so <laughs> we'll <get> good. Others. <laughs> uh so you meet this guy and he's like, I have lived too long. Can you please kill me? Just go ahead and hit me. And this kind of, I like this because it serves as a way, one, ties into the story. And it also serves as a way to teach you some about the combat. Because he's like, okay, maybe you need to try a strong attack. Okay, maybe try this. Mm. And, you know, that's how your character kind of learns, oh, these are the movesets that I could have. Well, maybe try a different weapon or something like that. Because at this point in the game, you should have your sword. And then if you paid attention, you should have picked up the umbrella as well here right um which unless you're a sadomasochist like me there's absolutely <laughs> no reason you should ever use the umbrella in this game it does not help you float it does nothing but half the amount of damage that you do so yeah don't don't use it unless you want to 100 percent the game um as far as achievements are concerned um so beyond that you end up having to um you meet the gray crow who tells you that he wants to unlock this door and this door is where all the souls go and there's something that he's been looking for forever uh that's beyond this door and he absolutely has to get here and it 
he gives you some reason as to why you need to be on his side as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember exactly what that is. Not really important to the point of the the podcast, but essentially he says, I need three souls. I need the soul of the witch of the urn estate. I need um, the the soul of the frog king in the swamp. And then I also need the soul of the great monster in the mountains or the essentially the Yeti monster. Mm-hmm. And sends you on your way, tells you which way to go. And from right there, um, the game does a good job of just framing out, okay, here's the main story. Here's what I'm trying to do. And really, from that point on, there's not a lot of main story content. Like, I'm not saying, like, the there obviously is content as you go on, story pieces, but this is where the whole thing just it lays it all out for you and says, here you go. And the reason I, I bring it up this way and the reason I thought about it like this is because when I was reading a lot about this game, a lot of people were saying, well, I don't really like how this game doesn't have a map. And I don't like how this game doesn't give you a lot of direction as to specifically where you need to go. You just kind of have to search for it with the clues. Yeah. And I think that's a valid concern. However, um, I mean, both of us got through it just fine multiple times. Yep. True. Excuse me. Um, but I wanted to talk about this point with you because I think this is something that both you and I, especially having a lot of Souls experience, um, know a lot about. Whenever you have a game that is hinged more on the explorability of mm-hmm. an area, having a map takes a lot away from a game. And if the story is too deep, then it usually requires there to be some type of map because the game is lending you to be more story focused. So thinking more about the story, thinking more about the characters. So you rely, I'm thinking like God of War, you rely on that map to kind of guide you in certain areas that you can focus on something else and then come back to the story. But when the story is vague and the game wants you to explore, the need for a map doesn't really exist because especially in this game, as you wander throughout the world and find the things that you need to level up and bring your, your character uh, to more power and more weapons and things like that, that don't really change the story. It feels more rewarding and you learn the story naturally that way. I would say that's fair. And also a lot of the, the, um, the exploration that you do in this game hinges on that isometric top down, uh, camera angle and um, a lot of times the game will do this like this unexpected shift where if you're looking behind a pillar or you go behind a building the entire camera will rotate and follow your character around and it it brings you into the world in a, in a way that you know I haven't seen a lot of games pull this trick off where it instantly makes the world feel much more complete than you might have realized um I can understand some people's want for a map in this game only because, to to stick with that point, the isometric camera angle makes it a little bit hard to find your way around at times. Um, you know, and especially in areas like the uh, the the forest area before the Frog King, there there were some moments where the scenery is just samey enough that it took me a little bit longer to navigate, and I definitely got turned around a few times. But overall. I, I I think this game executes without a map just fine. 
Yeah, I don't. I didn't think it took it too much away. I mean, there were definitely times I got lost, especially whenever I was looking for seeds or you know yeah. extra power oh, or health. God. Like I would just get over the same area five, six, seven different times and not find a damn thing. Um, do I think it needs a map though? I mean, if you had, if I had to make a hard line yes or no choice, I would say no. I feel like the game would be too easy with a map. I mean, just straight up. Um, just with if for, from a 100% perspective and having hmm. played through the whole thing, I think with a, with a map, it would have been a little too easy. Um, do I think it could have been tied to some sort of difficulty rating? Potentially, you know, if they had an easy, medium, hard, you know, easy had a map, everything else didn't, you know, yeah. um, I think that that could have been an accessibility option. Um, <laughs> Maybe not um, even a, a detailed map. But e- even like an illustration, which wouldn't even necessarily, you know, help with the nitty gritty of, of finding hidden items or something, but would give you a little bit more context about the world that you're exploring. You know, it would be fun to see an illustration of this world that they've built. Yeah, I may, I may, and maybe even like a, uh, hey, are you doing like a new game plus you've unlocked the map? feature or you could pay so many souls or something and unlock it i don't know i'd i'd think just for the for the the world in this game was just really meant to be explored and a Mm. lot of it in a lot of ways feels very i know it's not procedurally generated but the way especially in some areas the way the world populates and falls apart gives you a more of a challenge and a puzzle in certain areas to have to not know what the map looks like upcoming or not even remember, Hey, what was just behind me? Right. I don't, I don't really remember that. So I think, I think the game is very cleverly designed to not need that, but I don't think it would, it's not like, you know, dark souls. If I had a a massive map, it would change the whole thing. I don't think it would make too big of a difference. Um, I don't but think I've, you could do a map in Dark Souls. No, no, absolutely not. But if I if I could press start in a Dark Souls game and look, like here's every chest that I you know found, yeah. here's all the or here's where the bonfires are. I think I would just not ever play those games. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So moving moving right along through this. Um, so you first the first area you move to is the uh, estate of the Urn Witch and. So the general structure of this game goes, there's a new area, there's the introduction open front of the area, and then when you get in, you meet the birds, you mm-hmm. have to free the uh, the fallen crows that have been in this area before, and there's four of them. Once you free them, it unlocks the door to the avarice chest, which gives you new abilities. You get that, and that unlocks the next area, which is a, usually a more in-depth dungeon, and then that leads you to the boss. And right. that's a rinse and repeat cycle from one, two, three, each each time that you do it um, on each one of these areas that you're headed to. And that formula, I loved this formula because every area just felt so unique and different. The enemies probably could use more variety, but there's also not a lot of variety in your abilities, especially early game. So Definitely it, true. Yeah. It, but I also didn't feel like, and that's just my end game experience. I didn't feel anything was too stale as I was playing through it even. Um, Cause I got my ass beat. So well, yeah, times. that's, that's what I was going to say is that 
no, there isn't a gigantic library of of different monsters that you'll face. But what they've done is they've balanced these monsters against each other really well, where combat isn't necessarily about... It's not a puzzle of figuring out, like, which moves to use. It's a puzzle about prioritizing targets. Um, yes. And in any kind of, like... When you're being mobbed by different enemies, you have to really quickly assess, like, who's the biggest threat? How do I get to them and still dodge everything else that's happening on screen? Um, and that loop was so satisfying. And really it learning was. how these different enemies interact with each other. And, you know, if you have a bunch of long-range guys, then maybe you want to take them out before dealing with more aggressive enemies that get up all in your face. Like, that was that was really satisfying. And there was a sense of mastery to learning how to deal with that. I, I agree. And, and even further, uh, to further that point you just made, a lot of the enemies, too, could be used to your advantage. So, it, mm-hmm. you know, if you had the like the wizards that would show up and they'd be shooting balls of, you know, magic or fire, whatever they'd shoot at you. And it was like, OK, well, this guy, I don't want to get in too close. I'm not quite that good with this type of combat yet. You could use that to, you know, use your sword to hit those projectiles at different enemies to right. take them out. So it, it could benefit you to leaving certain enemies alive longer or if you were better at the close range combat and weren't quite as good at dodging then you would take out those wizards first as opposed to you know whatever else it was that was flying around there so there's a lot of variability in the combat um so that's and that's what i meant and never got stale so if there were certain many enemies that i was not as proficient with as i didn't have a lot of ranged attacks quite yet uh that's how i would play the game would be utilize the other enemies to my advantage so um and I know for a fact that other people didn't play it that because I've seen other people just be all brutal up in your face melee and, you know, good for them because I'm not that good at dodging. So, <laughs> um, and I, I think another thing that really helps is that the feedback that you get from all of the weapons in this game is excellent. You know, there's mm-hmm. a, a really cool sound design every time your your weapon connects with an enemy. There's a, a screen shake and a, like a controller feedback and all of it just makes combat feel weighty and impactful. Yeah, I agree. Um, quick question about the game. I, Cause I know it's just funny whenever you and I play games, we always play it differently. Did you play this game all with the controller? Oh yeah. Yep. I keyboard mouse this entire game. Did you seriously? <laughs> yeah. And that's probably why I had so many issues with some of the combat. Yeah. But then, I imagine if you consider that I went back through the whole game, keyboard and mouse and did it with the umbrella makes it that much more, <laughs> much that is more intense. Um, yeah. I don't know. I just, I just started playing and only time I ever switch away from keyboard and mouse is if there's too many button combos and the mapping gets a little difficult. Because then I'm just like, okay, someone's already figured this out for me. I'll just <laughs> switch to the controller where they've already done that legwork for me. Right. Um, but I mean, this game, it was, I mean, it was pretty simple. It's one, two, three, four, and then your WASD and left click, right click. So, um, yeah. So I, there's a lot of variability in the gameplay itself and also how you can play the game, obviously. So, um, I mean, I, that right there tells me a lot about just from how simple the game is. Um, and as you progress to the game, you unlock some other weapons too. So you have, as far as your melee attacks, you have your standard sword. You find a hammer, which does a lot more uh, damage, I think. And it has like a, a bit of an AOE, if I'm not mistaken. Then you Yeah, find... there's a little bit of splash damage. I made the hammer through through most of my game. I love really? it. Really? Oh, yeah. 
Wow. See, I was I remained daggers when I found them. Yeah. So I was I was a dagger boy. The daggers give you speed. It reduces your um, your strength a little bit on the hit and how much damage you do, but it gives you more speed. Then you eventually find the great sword, mm. which is really slow, but it does a lot of damage. Um, and then what I like about this game is the leveling system. As you kill enemies, they drop souls. Um, and then you'd find like soul orbs that give you like a hundred souls and some that I think there's a few that give you more than that. Yeah. Um, and then they're going to be your main currency. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then when you get back to the hub, there's like a, a, it's really not that robust. It's, I think there's four or five. Yeah. I think there's four different things you can upgrade. And then with five different levels of each one. Correct. Yep. Um, now, what I like about this, though, is this gives you the option to pick a weapon that you like and then level what's important to you to utilize that weapon. So myself, as I was using the daggers, they didn't have they were already really fast, uh, but they didn't have a lot of high damage output. So I leveled my damage and then I would level my my secondary weapons like my arrows and bombs and things like that. Yeah. Um, so the game not only gives you a lot of um variability on how you play with specific weapons but it also lets you upgrade in a way that benefits your play style which is really really nice i really like that Um, yeah i completely agree and it's fun that you know because there's a lot of nuance to the upgrading system there aren't a lot of options but there's enough where you know with something like the hammer that is big and slow but but powerful do you want to try to offset that by making it swing faster or do you want to lean in and just go for a pure damage build so it you hit slow but you hit hard yeah for sure and i what i also like about this game is it's it's difficult to level without progressing in the game because mm-hmm. as you're going through you'll you'll find these soul orbs that are very that are spaced out very nicely throughout the world to make it to where you level with the game as opposed to like beefing yourself up before an area. Um, now you could go back and farm, but like after you kill a set of enemies, they only drop one or two souls next time you kill them. And these upgrades are four, six, eight, a hundred, all the way up to like 1600 souls a piece. So right. it would take a hell of a long time to farm. Yeah. To, you know, to do You're not that. really meant to be grinding in this game. It wants yeah. you to keep moving forward. <laughs> Um, but I, that just goes to, you know, the progression of the game. It's just, it's, it flows very well and tie that in with the music and how the weapons work. I mean, and it, it's just, it's just fantastic. I don't really have a lot of negative things <laughs> to say about it. I will say, I wish a lot more of the weapons were available earlier in the game because they're yeah. all optional. You can find all of them, but like you don't find the great sword until near the end of you have the to beginning be, of the third area. Yeah, you have to have two bosses out of the three under your belt before you you unlock that. Um, and by that point, you know you've probably already found another weapon that you've sort of wanted to settle into. You exactly, know, I don't think yeah. a lot of people are are switching up their play style at that point. That's a good yeah. point. Yeah. So I'm like I said, I've I think the second weapon you find is the daggers, and I was mm-hmm. sold on the daggers because i thought that my first thing was like wow i wish i could attack a little faster yeah. and then i found that and i was i was good to go <laughs> um but then the other part of the game is the chests of avarice which you'll find one in each of the major dungeons it gives you a new ability 
that you can utilize. And these are um, these are your bow and arrow, your hook shot, your bomb, and there's a fourth one. Fireball. Fireball, that's right. Which is what I mained in order yeah. to beat the game with the umbrella. Because <laughs> I needed the most hits, and I was I was max uh, speed and max uh, magic damage, a hundred percent on on that on that run. Um, yeah, so these are your secondary weapons, and this is another thing, kind of teamed with your your primary melee, that allowed you to kind of level which one and change your play style as you leveled it. Uh, just kind of just mirroring exactly what we talked about. The only thing I wanted to add was that I love what this game does, and I can't think of another game that does it like this. You can't sit back and spam your magic. This game <laughs> forces you to get in there and melee and learn to dodge and get in and get your quick attacks in and get out. Because in order to get your, especially in boss battles, in order to get your ability to use magic back, you get however many slots you have of magic. You have, start with four and you can level it up to six. You can't or you have to get in and hit. You have to complete a melee attack successfully in order to get a slot of that magic back. Right. It's a genius little twist because it forces people to stay aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you can't really have a passive play style when, once you know, your range options, you're going to be out of them fairly quickly, especially yeah, early in sure. the game when, you know, it, during some of the boss battles, like the... Uh, the semi-tutorial castle boss. I was spamming arrows like crazy, realized I was out and I had to go in and, and confront the thing. Yeah, for sure. And I think you learn really quickly. And I think that boss is probably where most people have the hardest time with because it's, it literally, like you just said, it's designed to teach you exactly that. Mm. It gives you wide openings to get in there, get a couple hits, fall back, use your arrows. And that like, I think that's exactly what that boss was designed for. So yeah, I think you nailed it. Um, so on to the kind of the story aspect of this a little bit more. So after you get in and <laughs> to the witch's urn estate, you meet uh, one of my favorite characters in the game, a delightful uh, character with a pot of soup on his head. And what, what's his name, Max? <laughs> relatively sure his name is pothead (laughs) uh yeah so this is this this is probably the first part of the game where i i audibly chuckled uh (laughs) because this game has like this this kind of weird system that anytime you meet a new character or there's like a name or a major event it just like pauses the screen on whatever it is and like big bold caps like right right across the thing yeah so he's like my name's pothead it just like pauses on him it's like pothead <laughs> so naturally we're all having our little a little giggle he <laughs> his name's pothead um but he goes on to explain that uh his grandma's inside and you need to you need to come in i felt like the game was trying to trick me a little bit here and this was before i really got how whimsical the game was i thought this game was t- gonna take the twist hey come inside meet my grandma this kind of stuff and then they were gonna try to do the same thing to me and he right. was actually a bad guy but that turned out to not be the case. Um, it's but, funny. I I never suspected him. And I think it's because I, and this might be because you and I obviously, like most mainstream uh, games journalists, see everything through the lens of Dark Souls. And uh, <laughs> I, 
I saw a lot of our man Sigurd in him. Um, oh, come know. on. That's a, that was a physical characteristic. You know it. No, definitely. <laughs> but also, you know, he's kind of like this sort of dopey Winnie the Pooh-ish guy, and he's sitting outside a locked door kind of humming and hoeing to himself. It felt, it felt I deliberate. I yeah. can see that. Honestly, that's probably why. I mean, I I didn't. I was gonna try to get through this whole thing without drawing a comparison to a Dark Souls game. Sorry, because honestly, no, no, it's fine. <laughs> the only reason I was bringing that up is I don't know if you've taken the time to look any do any like reviews or mm-hmm. anything of this game. All of them call this game a Souls Light, and that it's and, not it, really. In no way is this game a Souls Light. I hate. And I know we've talked about this on the show already, but I hate that for any precision, mm-hmm. tight-controlled game where you just have to be better at movement, they call it a Souls-like game. That that's the only comparison in this this whole game. Yeah. So uh, if you're, the, it's the it's not even remotely of, difficult. No, it's really not. <laughs> but like the main point of comparison, I think, is it is Zelda. This is a, a yes. huge tribute to early Zelda games. Um, yep. And you can see that in your inventory. You can see that in a lot of the aesthetic. You can see that in the uh, the design of the boss battles, which aren't so much like, you know, hardcore uh, Dark Souls tests of skill, but puzzles in themselves. Yeah, I mean, it. I would have played... I can't even... like. If you were to to stack the Dark Souls bosses up on end and then put like a tally of how many times I've died to each one of them, Mm. I mean, you're going to see like a a natural progression there. But like in this, if this game gives you the ability to maneuver around and learn a boss and honestly, maybe one or two times other than the Lord of Doors that has multiple phases when I was playing with the umbrella, that's the yeah. only time I really struggled with a boss. And that's because mm. I was using the fucking umbrella. <laughs> um, but other than that, I mean, you're right. I mean, there's really, you, you could think of this game. It plays, if you've played like uh, the Link's Awakening remake. Yeah. Um, it plays a lot like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, just shift the camera, make it a little bit more like Wind Waker as far as the art goes. And they're very much the same. Um, and then when you get into these dungeons as well, they're, they become a little bit less like Zelda in this aspect. They're, they're a lot less puzzly. They're, they're a lot more linear than, uh, like a Zelda puzzle is. There's a few switches you have to hit. There's a couple enemies you got to kill mini bosses, but really, I mean, they're very puzzle light. Yeah, Um, I would say that's fair. They're, they're, it's much more about, like you said, exploration is a key idea in this game um and so in those preamble areas where you're searching for you know the four crows that'll help you progress it it's really about figuring out how to get from room to room and there isn't so much a puzzle as like a how do i get to this door or is there something i missed in this room or something like that yeah like a a pot to break or a switch that drops a ladder or something and about it it, really the main areas whereas Zelda is like okay you beat a few enemies in this room now figure out the puzzle to progress this one is all right figure out the small puzzle in this room and then beat enemies to progress it's yeah honestly the exact opposite yeah. um but that doesn't take away from its charm because every uh, area kind of introduces like a new type of mini boss 
that you kind of run up against, uh, which are mm. all just delightful. They're all fun. They make funny noises. They they do weird shit, and they're, they, they're just they flop around. Um, they do the thing that all enemies in all games should do, which is ragdoll when you kill them. Yes. Oh my god. Yes. <laughs> I love that. I love hitting an enemy and then watching like its arms like unnecessarily fold. Like I've broken their shoulders and yeah, oh, like you've just crumpled their entire body. <laughs> It's great. It's so fantastic. Uh, it's Souls-like in that way, I guess. You could I say. guess that's true. <laughs> I don't know how many times an enemy in Dark Souls has got caught on my foot, and I've just been dragging them around for like, like thirty seconds. We're going together now, friend. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like, there's this delightful little gameplay loop. Uh, rescue your friends, and they all have either something horrendously dark and sad to say. Mm-hmm. or quippy and funny that make you go, hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, the writing in this is just, it's so whimsical and interesting. It's, it's phenomenal. It's really, really good. <laughs> and I, I think you're right earlier too. It's like you take you take any game, you think of like whimsical and funny and stuff, and then you just dip it in British humor, and that's what you're you're getting here. Mm-hmm. It's it's great. <laughs> just, just fucking play this game at this point. Um. So you beat the witch. You eventually get down into her dungeon. Now, what I like about this game, and this happens in every boss. Whenever you beat a boss, there's not like this big moment where it's like, oh, my God, yes, like I finally did it. They're not really that difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, You might have your own little celebration, but in the game, it's not like, oh, my God, you beat it, and then you just leave. There's a ceremony and a funeral for every boss you beat. So inevitably, whatever character you meet at that dungeon, plus uh, he- Sledhone, Headslone, <laughs> something like that, whatever his name is, shows up. The guy at the beginning, the grave digger, mm-hmm. um, and there's a eulogy given by him. And what I love about this game, and this is where it actually starts to get into a little bit more of the deeper concept of the story, is that. They go on to say, and it kind of ties into the main point of the game we'll get to later, that, for instance, the witch's um, idea for what she was really doing was that she was turning people into pots because they could not be reaped. Souls, people, souls don't have pots. If you could turn them into a pot, then they would live on as pots, but they could never die because they don't have souls. So she was actually trying to find a way to cheat death and be immortal. Um, and they gave this fantastic eulogy about how what she was doing was just trying to preserve her kids, uh, her and her life and her kids' lives. But turns out that this is just unnatural and it twists your soul and it's it just kind of turns people evil over time. And it's kind of depressing. I mean, this is where the game kind of gets a little... Eh, like I don't, I don't like this level of realism. <laughs> yeah, one of the things that I think is really impressive about this game is that as many jokes and quips that it makes, um, you know, death isn't just a, a dramatic setting. It isn't just the style or the vibe. A lot of this game is a rumination on what death is, and most of the villains that will fight here aren't so much evil so much as they are just terrified of death. Um, And one of the things that I think is really clever about the narrative is that 
the first thing this game does is demystify the entire concept of death within the fiction of this game. Here's how That's it true. works. <laughs> There's a very, very measurable, there are people with quotas who are sitting in offices <laughs> and just processing souls. So when you have that context, you can see how foolish it is or how misguided it is for, for these villains to be afraid of it because you understand how it works. Um, it's a really, really good narrative trick um, t- and a good way to introduce players to this game. Yeah, I, and I like how that they don't just let the characters move on. Mm-hmm. Because whenever you do this and you beat these bosses, this funeral scene, it's very, you know, your character's there, these other characters are there, there's the body of whoever is there, and it's just, it's very, I mean, it really makes you, makes you read and makes you listen, and it, it really puts it into perspective. But then, like, it's almost like you said, it's transactional for your character being there, like, okay, I'm here to get this soul yeah. and it keeps it lighthearted while having this sense of wow like that's actually kind of fucking depressing yeah. um no i i think it's it's fantastic the way that they they set this up I, and i love um i love that there's always something they nice they have to say because it's never you know he did the he did the right thing for the wrong thing there's a there's always like one line that uh says that like sums up what that boss has going for him. I don't mm. remember what they said about like the, uh, the witch, but whenever you move on to the next area with the swamp, um, so his whole thing was, he's trying to bring the entire forest under his domain, right. um, both the forest and the swamp, all his, and he just wants to rule everything. Well, he's also been alive for a very long time, and whenever they, you finally beat him, there's a line, I have it pulled up here, a bold and fearless leader, he was persecuted for a simple desire to place all of the forest <laughs> under his rule. <laughs> so, um, I love that line. <laughs> right? It's like, it's it's extremely tyrannical. It's, it's any one person with too much power. It's just, the tale as old as time. But it's yeah. also kind of funny when you look at what it says because the whole time there's this running joke about how he likes to sit on things and crush them with his ass. Mm. So And then you get this line that he's persecuted for the simple desire to place it all under his rule. So it's like a, a very subtle, I'm going to sit on you joke um, kind of baked in there. So again... They they compliment him. They call him a bold and fearless leader. So they they're instilling the idea that yes, at one point he was a good leader. Yes, actually, for the people in the swamp, he actually probably was a great leader. Um, I don't know. I just really liked how they they keep it very lighthearted and interesting. No, definitely. And it, it you know as farcical as this game is in a lot of places, you know, nobody gets to be unsympathetic you know when it comes to the bosses as as monstrous literally in some cases as they are um you do get you know all of them get a nice word said to them at their funeral which is kind of nice so um what was interesting was the last one which was probably my favorite boss in the game because i think it was the most challenging Mm. uh was was betty um, well, the last like story boss, I should, yeah, uh, yeah. that's not, that's not an accurate way to say it. The last of the three main dungeon bosses, 
um, Betty, who was like Betty the Yeti. <laughs> uh, but the area before this dungeon was probably my favorite area in the game where you meet Jefferson. Mm-hmm. Um, Jefferson is by far my favorite part of this game because you walk in this little shack that's known for like its amazing soup and there's this clearly rotting corpse standing beyond the counter where it very clearly is being controlled by this squid with these weird tentacles. And he's like, yo, man, I want to give you some soup. And he tells you, I think it's part of like a, he's giving you hints to where like items are. Yeah. Um, and then I love the scene when he like slides you the soup and you have the chopsticks and your bird's like looking at it with the chopsticks. And after a couple of seconds, just yeets the chopsticks <laughs> beyond him and just like goes to town on this just pecking at it tentacle that yeah. is likely a part of Jefferson's body that he had just lopped off and given to you to eat. <laughs> and he's saying things like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm clearly a, a bi, a bipod human." Like, just one saying, of my favorite <laughs> things is having two arms and two legs. <laughs> I, I love Jefferson. Jefferson and, was great. And it was funny because I, I got to the end of the game and I was like, "Man, I like Jefferson a lot." And then you get into the after game, or the post game content. No, hey. said the thing. Um, but. Uh, and then you get to this whole segment with just Jefferson, and it's almost like they knew that mm. people wanted more of this. <laughs> so. That there was going to be a payoff for this joke, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a good time. Um, but just continuing the progression, so you, you find all three of the souls. You get Betty the Yeti, you get the Frog King, and then you get the, um, the Urn Witch. The Witch. And you take them to the door where you had met the the gray bird great gray bird he was once a a, a reaper and we, you know we talked about that earlier mm. um and you give him the souls and the door opens and you guys go inside and you're in this i don't even know what this place is it's like it's it's death's door this is where that all the souls have been sealed and this is why people have just kind of been living forever because death has been trapped behind this door and this is like this infinite pit of just white space Mm -hmm. and there's nothing here other than death and death kind of explains when you get in the gray the gray bird guys like hey i'm here looking for this my my stuff it was here where is it and death's like oh man i'm sorry anything here just kind of slips into the void and those souls are just lost to the ether like they're just gone yeah and I, i first of all death such a good character. My favorite character in the game, maybe him and Jefferson are my, they might be tied because yeah. he's just like, it, it's funny. Cause when you think about this character and they do a good job of making it seem like this, this character like predates time itself. Like he's, he's a, he's an immortal being. That's his only job and purpose, regardless of the mythology that is from is to take souls and lead them to the afterlife or at least take them off the living, the living plane. Right. And, just how whimsical and funny he is. He's like, yeah, man, I'd really, I'd really don't know what to tell you. Like I've already, Oh, by the way, see you later. And just like dips. Yeah. He's just a guy in a sweatshirt. It's awesome. (laughs) It it goes back to that core idea of like, the first thing we're going to do is demystify death so that it doesn't have a whole lot of, you know, this scary sort of ominous behind it and, and make it sort of knowable and, 
it, it just seems like a natural process, you know? Yeah, um, for sure. And having death be sort of an everyman, just another guy with a job, <laughs> I thought was really great. <laughs> well, my favorite scene here is, so gray, the gray, I'm just going to call him Graybird. I don't think that's his name, but Graybird gets mm. pissed and he literally starts losing his mind. Right. And goes crazy over the fact that it's not here and he just wasted his entire life that, you know, he was had one goal and he couldn't follow it up and goes nuts. And Death's like, yeah, that's not my problem. And literally just <laughs> dips and yeah. just leaves you in this infinite white space with this angry, pissed off gray bird. Um, mm-hmm. Probably one of the better boss fights in the game right here. Um, I love the black and white aesthetic. I loved yeah. the the cloud of little little bird bat things that would chase you around. I loved the chain slide because it's almost like a um, telling you what's it's foreshadowing for like your next and final ability that you'll get to unlock in the next avarice chest. And it's it was just it was great. I this <laughs> by far was probably my favorite boss. So yeah. I, it's always fun when you have your player character matched up against a boss that, you know, mirrors your abilities. Um, so using the chain, um, he has something equivalent to a fireball, which I think is just hacking up black goo. Yeah. And it Um, follows you around. (laughs) Yeah. That, that, and all of that set within a really, really stark white, uh, boss arena. Yeah. it, It was very striking. And it, well, it kind of butts up against what, like, it's like the opposite um, of the starting arena where, you know, he was once a Reaper, you were once a Reaper, and you're in this, like, this gray space area between realms, and then you mm. he's forced to face his own literal mortality in an area that's the opposite of that yeah. on the other side of that death's door. Uh, no pun intended. But, like, that's where he meets his demise and actually goes crazy so I, I like the um the juxtaposition of the space there so where where you both meet and both begin and where one of them meets his end is the opposite end of the spectrum uh from that so i, I like i like how they did that i think that was it was intentional yeah yeah it was a good arc for for uh him as a character and it brings this chapter of the game to a close where up until this point, it's been a very conventional sort of video game quest. You know, you'll need three MacGuffins to advance. And then obviously (laughs) there's going to be a boss fight at the end of this. Um, So it was fun to get to the end of this, which is a fairly conventional sort of, of narrative for a video game. And everything past this point is really deconstructive and weird. Like we're going to take all those expectations that you have and we're going to spend the next 30 minutes really tearing them apart. That's a really good point. I hadn't actually considered it that way. Um, and just kind of to, just to jump into it, whenever you, after you beat him, you kind of leave the way you came in and just sitting right outside on that, the, the press, the precipice and the cliff of where this door was is just death being a normal dude that hasn't seen the sunset and sub 10,000 years. And he's Mm. (laughs) that he's been locked inside here. He's just sitting on the edge of a rock, kicking his feet with his arms kind of, you know, popped up behind him. And 
you know, just kind of looking at, and he goes, wow, it's been a really long time since I've been here. This is really, is just really beautiful. And this is where you actually learn what's really going on. And that being that the Lord of Doors. Who is uh, ostensibly the CEO of your company. Yes. Yes. Um, had made a pact with them that they would, um, they would bring order to the entirety of the world and that it would kind of, like you said, had <laughs> corporatized the idea of reaping these souls mm-hmm. and that he could kind of take a break and they would kind of take care of it for him um, so he could just live his life as a normal person. But then the Lord of Doors that's currently in line, he is the, I think he's either the fourth, or the, I think the fifth. Yeah. The, the fifth yeah, successor. Yeah, that sounds right. Mm. Or fourth successor, so the fifth one. Um but essentially breaks the promise and slams death behind that. And it kind of put a stalemate on all deaths. So that, and they were just kind of hoarding these souls. Mm. So this is where you go. Oh, so he's actually the bad guy. And this is where you start to learn about the free crows that were told, you know, the whole, the truth. And they, they had uh, told you the prophecy of the, the chosen crow that mm-hmm. would save everyone, blah, 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 that whole, that whole ordeal. So then now you come to realize that you need to confront the Lord of Doors, which you've met before, I think, after the first dungeon. Yeah, um, you get brought back to him. And it, there's a great scene when you meet him for the first time. And he's like, he's just in an office and he has a coffee cup that says like, you know, world's best overlord or something. It's, <laughs> it's, it's so great. good. <laughs> and, well, they really do a good job of making you like sense the like the power that he has because he's just like, I don't have time to deal with you and just like flicks you into a door and like you're yeah. just you're gone. Just gone. And then it gives you like this good scene where he just like kind of turns back around and you can tell that he's worried. Mm-hmm. Um, so they do a good job of like even with a character that literally has no eyes or no face, just his body language, you could tell, wow, this guy's concerned about something. I, yeah. I they do such a good job with this game. Um, and so you go and confront the Lord of Doors again, and what you come to find out is that um, the Lord of Doors was at each of them can forge that they have foreseen their own death. Mm-hmm. He knows exactly how he's going to die, and he has actually seen, and this is why he was worried, he knew that you would be here at one point in time to collect his soul and reap his soul. Mm -hmm. So this kind of leads into this whole end scene boss battle thing, which I love this battle, because it's not just a battle. It's it's like a true, uh, I guess a good way to to think about it is like... um, the ending of Twilight Princess where you fight Ganon where there's like multiple stages and they're all not just like battle specific. There's like a puzzle aspect to the battles. Yeah. Uh, it's not not one-to-one, you know, but it's no, like no. that phase. There's definitely phases to it. And one of the things that I think this succeeds in is one way that I think you can assess what is a good boss battle, what is a, you know, a bad boss battle. Um, does this boss test you on everything you've learned up until this point? Um, and the final boss should feel like an exam where it's everything that you've learned how to do up until this point. And that's something that I think is really, really successful here. Um, yeah. you know, where you're managing mobs, you're doing a lot of quick navigation. Um, there's some platforming sections and finally like a really challenging, like brawl at the end. Yeah. So which, it, it 
it succeeds in a lot of ways. I like how it it changes the arenas too, because like from mm-hmm. from the outside looking in, you could look at this as it's almost too on the nose, because it goes to like each one of the bosses arenas that you fought yeah. them in, and it's like okay, well, it's literally challenging in those areas. But what you have to remember is that the Lord of Doors, his job was to look over each realm. He was right. the Lord of each one of these. So literally, in the room where you first confront him, he has a window where he watches over. The urn estate, the swamp, the the watchtowers, uh, the snow area, things like that. So it would make sense as to why these arenas are like this. And you're right. I mean, they're just they're perfect mirrors of what you've learned. And then at the end, it's just an all out brawl of mm-hmm. just specifically those aspects, just times 10 speed. And you have to be precise. And he hits like a fucking truck. And it's it's tough. And it's even yeah. more tough with the umbrella. I'm going to say it, <laughs> say it again. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great boss. And then whenever you finally beat it, um, this is, it doesn't change pace because there's a wonderful funeral after this one as well, mm-hmm. where once again, I mean, and this is probably the one that rings true even for being the final boss and the big bad and de- definitively more evil than the others, but they do a really good job of, um, doing a um eulogy for this for this character stating you know he really wasn't always evil you know he was a good person he was looking for ways to to bring more life to more people and it just kind of went wrong at the last minute and it really like you said it just frames death and like a really i don't want to say positive but like this whole situation and just like a really nice light and really makes you feel bad for the character because they're they're there they are in this situation because they are scared to die yeah that's and that's exactly right and we all kind of are in you know a certain mm. way you know we all i'm not gonna get too philosophical on this show but i mean that's that's just an embodiment of who we are as people yeah and one of the big things is that you know the the cardinal sin here for the lord of doors as a as a big bad is not recognizing that death is part of the natural order and so trying to disrupt that and build an industry around disrupting that um you know that's ultimately what leads to his downfall yeah i love i love the symbolism that you know this has it's i mean there's a little bit of I can think of three stories, like Greek parables, I guess you could call them, off the top mm-hmm. of my head that like mirror everything that you see in this and this entire um, story from, you know, the witch to, you know, the Yeti all the way up, the story of love and the story of, you know, hanging on to life, you know, beyond its point. There's just so there's so much good here. And I think obviously that's where they drew their inspirations from, uh, from top to bottom. But um I don't. I can't say enough good things about the story in this in this game. Definitely, definitely play it because you know if you haven't had it spoiled for you already, and even if you have, <laughs> it's the story is fantastic. If not yeah. just for the character design and the <laughs> the speech choices. Um. So yeah. So from this point, this is where the you know the game kind of wraps itself up. You have your final conversation with Death. You learn about like I said, the camp of the free crows. Um. And then the game kind of drops you back out at the 
the beginning uh, in the cemetery and you're kind of you kind of have this like free roam ability um, and the game from here on out this is where it gets into the post game content um, where nothing is readily apparent at all mm-hmm. in any way <laughs> no you're um, not signposted a lot yeah so it, a lot of people probably would if you don't read anything about this excuse me, anything about this game and don't go looking for it, I would say the majority of people probably just, if they don't go hunting for the extra shiny objects, leave mm-hmm. it here. But if you have the key, you unlock the rusty bell tower and then you hit the bell and it turns the whole world to nighttime. Mm-hmm. And this kind of changes the whole the whole setup of the, of the game. Um, I won't jump too far into like really the specifics about this because obviously I don't want to just list off a bunch of mechanics. Um, but I do this because it's not really the true ending of the game. And I like the ending of this game and I like how this game is structured. So I, this is why I want to talk about this. Um, and feel free to interrupt me at any, at any time, Max, um, with this secret ending, I will admit I looked up some of these because I knew there was more and I just didn't know where they were. No. Yeah. Um, so I knew there was the chest in the ruins. So there's the aver- an extra avarice chest in the ruins. There's the light in, uh, in the watchtowers. There's the section with Jefferson that we just said we have to take him back to the pond. You have to find three owls scattered across the worlds um, and get all the 50 seeds, lead the ghosts, ghosts to the statues, and then yep. there is the final boss battle with uh, the grave digger. Yeah, which is sad. And when you kill him, there's a eulogy that's provided, um, and it's really good. It was a it was a good ending to that arc. Um, yes. And then whenever you get these seven ancient tablets, you take them back to the door in the camp of the free crows. And <laughs> this is it's kind of an interesting ending. Um, I don't really know how to feel <laughs> about it because it's, it's very. How how would you describe this? So what the true ending in this game does is draw a bridge between this game and this developer's previous game, Titan Souls. Um, and basically makes a confirmation that they are part of the same universe and part of the same history. Um, I can't speak to a lot of Titan Souls because... I've played it. I haven't beaten it because I don't hate myself. Um, and that I've that, heard differently. <laughs> I mean, that game's great. It's just, it's really, it's uh, for me. I found it very hard. It, gotcha. It's a difficult game. Um, and yeah, I, I'm kind of with you on this, where I'm a little bit ambivalent. It's fun. It's interesting to connect the two, but I think kind of unnecessary and might take away from the impact of what I see being the real narrative focus of the game, which is about, you know, demystifying death as a concept. Um, So I I, I agree a hundred percent before you, I, I thought that the, the true ending was going to add more mm -hmm. to what I had already picked up on. And it just, just made me have more questions and it didn't fit really. So, yeah, I would, (laughs) I would consider it, you know, it, it's a fun Easter egg, but 
it's not going to add a lot to the narrative. Um, right. Yeah, that that was that was my takeaway. I'm gl- I'm glad to hear that you had the same kind of impression that I did. Yeah, um, and just for like anyone out there that. Because this is another one of those things whenever I had watched the ending, I went, okay, let me rewatch that. And I looked it up on YouTube and watched it again. Um, so essentially the crows, like I said, they had told you of the prophecy of like the, 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 the foretold crow. Mm-hmm. Um, and whenever you go to these ruins, you meet with this, it's like this weird giant eye thing. And it's, its name is Truth. And you learn about kind of the history of Death's Door but like it's really vague and there's not a lot of information and it jives with like you said what's in Titan Souls and then you are kind of sucked into the truth and you become also like an omniscient being. Yeah. Which is also what happens like you said at the end of Titan Souls where the boy is absorbed and you become he also becomes part of like the truth and mm-hmm. the whole city in Titan Souls is destroyed when this happens. So like you said, is this is this some type of secret narrative that has a long game to it through the course of like all of what Acid Nerve does? Because obviously it's not Devolver Digital. Yeah. Because no, this is this is Acid Nerve specific. Um, it's you know, it's interesting to try to do, but I I hope they don't try to. F- I hope they don't try to pull this trick with every game that they make because each of them I think is interesting enough to stand on its own. And there's a stylistic difference between the two that is miles apart. Titan souls takes itself very, very seriously. Hmm. Um, you know, and I'm not saying that is a detriment in any way because it, it builds a lot of atmosphere. Um, and it's really mysterious and has a lot more of a soul's influence than I think this game does. Death's Door is kind of farcical and fun, and trying to bridge the gap between those two is always going to feel a little bit tenuous, I think. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. You know, it would be like saying that, you know, somehow there's a timeline that connects Wind Waker to uh, 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 Twilight Princess. Like, that would just be stupid, right? Like, they would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> someday we'll do an entire episode about how i feel about the zelda timeline bullshit <laughs> i i think that just a little off topic here but i think it's funny because like the zelda timeline it's one of those things that every nintendo fan is angry about but no one will talk about yeah <laughs> because no, we're it's... like that makes no sense <laughs> like in any way like how like because like when uh Breath of the Wild was still ambiguous to the timeline. And it mm-hmm. was like, oh, yeah, it, fit, it would fit here because, like, this, this, and this, and this. And they're like, actually, it goes here. And we're all like, oh, fuck this. Like, that makes yeah, no exactly. sense whatsoever. <laughs> Why do they anyway. need to? Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> in the point of this conversation and in general, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Everyone's going to die. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, so obviously we've covered game top to bottom. I jump into some of the like the uh, you know we've hit on the story, the graphics, you know how we feel about the the game, the value. I will say this. So you know we're talking about this game and it offers a lot of time to- or a lot of uh, 
a lot of replayability, I think. And I think that I probably, my first playthrough was like maybe 10 hours. Mm. Uh, and that was a lot of me exploring stuff. I think you could probably, if you were hardcore trucking through this game, you could probably get it in six or seven hours. Um, yeah, I'd say so. If you're not getting lost a lot and you, you've got the map in your head, which you can definitely do. Um, yeah, for sure. I went, I went back and forth about trying to think about the replay value of this game. Obviously, there is some value to going back and playing through the story again just because it's it's a good story. Um, but there's something to be said for a game that basically gives you mo- all of the good stuff on your first playthrough. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to be unlocking any new weapons in New Game Plus or any new abilities. You, If you're going back through it, it's because you love the story or you're like Michael and you're trying to beat the game with the umbrella because there's some, <laughs> you know, pit deep in your being that you can't fill other than dealing with, like, massively difficult video game challenges. I hate myself. What do you want from me? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I agree. I think the replay value is, you know, without trying insulting the game it's not it's not high however i will say that if you team that with the price of the game Mm -hmm. if you love this game who am i to tell you to go back and you know don't play it again you know it was it was fantastic um i actually found i got a lot more joy out of it the second time because i wasn't trying to get every single thing you know and i was like okay i don't care if i go here and here and here i'm just i'm going to this place right to the Mm -hmm. next area and when i knew that it opened me up to enjoy other elements more more of the combat was more interesting more paying more attention to those the elements of combat like i was talking about where i was really focusing on you know taking out which enemy first and which one's going to be more advantageous to me in this situation um what i want to upgrade so playing it again had that level of uh interest to me but I don't think a third time would be on the horizon anytime soon. Yeah. So and at that point, I mean, this game is priced at what? 15, 20 bucks. Yeah. Like, 20 bucks. And it's on game pass. So yeah, come on. There's, the, there's no downside to picking up this game. It is so consistent in its quality the whole way through that. I, I almost be doing the game a disservice to say like, look, you're going to get the full experience in your first playthrough. Like it, it is going to lay all of its cards out on the table for you. And I think that's totally fine. Yeah. For, for that price range, I honestly, I think, cause I think it launched at $20. I really don't even think that's, I think that's undervaluing the game personally. I'm not saying I would pay $40 for this game, but I think 30 would be like a really good launch point for this yeah. game. Cause it's, I'd, it's just well-made. Yeah. I, I think that's a solid range you know, for 20 bucks. Like this is the most polished it for a $20 game that I've seen in a very long time. I can't think of other things in that price range that, well, uh, outside of Inscription, which I'm going to talk about a lot over the course of the next couple of weeks because I've been obsessed with that game. Holy shit. That's on my wish list. So if you want to cover that soon, we can. I would love to do that. I'm, I'm totally down. All right. <laughs> Stay tuned. We have we have good shit on the horizon. Yeah. Yeah, we do. It's, it's that or God of War. <laughs> I'm still making my way through Disco Elysium too. So, a game I have so many things to say, but I'm just I've been reserving my thoughts to you for this podcast. But anyway, um, continuing down the uh, the hallway of Death's Door, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, we've already talked about like a ton of this game. I do want to say, um, or I just want to ask you this as far as the game is concerned. Um, you know, we've talked about the creativity in the game from, you know, the gameplay all the way down to the music and the art. If you were to take like two sentences and just say, if someone was like, Hey Max, I'm thinking about playing death's door. What's your favorite thing about this game? Sell me on it in like two sentences. What would you say to them? Uh, I would say it's a Miyazaki-inspired Zelda game with Douglas Adams humor. I wow, just kind of <laughs> blew my mind there. <laughs> I do love Restaurant at the End of the Universe. I'm sorry, I, it's the best of the five. <laughs> it's a controversial opinion, but I'll take it. <laughs> I thought it was great, um, but no, I, that's a. That's a pretty accurate assessment, and that's a, there's a lot of uh, big names in there that are gonna that are gonna interest someone. So I, I'll take I, that. Yeah, I think that's pretty clearly the big three influences for this game, um, and all of them merge very seamlessly. You know, uh, uh, it's very clear that I think the the creators of this game have a. Def- definite list of, of of influences and pulled a lot of of great content so yeah that would be my pitch um <laughs> I, I like that a lot <laughs> miyazaki zelda douglas adams <laughs> yeah um and it all works and it somehow all all works together so that in mind if you had to like whenever devolver digital was publishing this game and they were going through their marketing strategy like i'm i was thinking about this earlier when i was putting together my notes for the show and i was trying to like nail down like who they who the core audience this was this was for because this has such a broad range of offerings um like it's fun and artsy so they could easily have appealed to the younger kids Mm. it's very precise in its combat so you have those hardcore you know I guess the RPGers like myself yeah. um, that are gonna uh, that are gonna bite on this. Um, I I'll be the first to say I don't think they expected this game to be as successful as it was, and I don't know whether you know Game Pass had an influence on that or whether it was it just hit a market based off like it where when it was displayed at like a a VGA award or whatever it originally came out. I don't know what it was, but um, I taking out the fact that like games like solar ash and death door and like those artsy type looking games generally do pretty well just because people want to get in on the indie ground. Yeah. Um, Who do you think this originally was marketed for? That's a great question. Um, Especially because I think it contrasts with, um, Titan Souls, which was so clearly marketed at sort of a hardcore crowd. Uh, Death Store is much more accessible, and I think much more. I th- I think, you know, this game released for the Switch, and I think most Switch owners would probably get um a lot of good use out of this game. Where even if you don't have the the background if you've never played a zelda game before you know and you don't pick up on any of those references um this would be a good foray into you know the sort of adventure game genre 
Um, so I I would say that it's probably marketed at um a more casual crowd. Gotcha. Yeah, I could see that, and I could honestly even see the marketing strategy for this game having evolved, you know, based off its release window because it originally came out on PC and Xbox like in July, I think, mm-hmm. and then it didn't release on everything else until like November. Uh, so, I mean, they could have changed what the strat- marketing strategy was. I don't know. I didn't follow the marketing campaign, but yeah, I mean, you're right though. It is, it is kind of a tough one to nail down just based off of Acid Nerve's predecessor, and you know what the game really is offering because it is really broad i mean it gives you a lot of good shit for the the dollar yeah most definitely most definitely. Um, so i will say if i had to like looking at this game based off of like because it i felt like when i played it i was like i don't know why this game is marketed to me but i am the core demographic <laughs> for for the uh, in that in that like same vein that we were just talking um I really think, like, this is weird because looking at the game as a whole and trying to think of, like, a a moment in the game based off of, like, how it was marketed at me, what point in that game did I go, oh, my God, like, I'm in love with this game? And I really don't think it it was a specific story element Mm -hmm. that really drew me into this game. What I really think it was was once I unlocked a few of the weapons and got to using them, and then realized, I think probably the second or third upgrade to my dagger set, I think that was where I was like, I'm 100% on this game because it was where it clicked for me where I went, oh, there is a distinctive difference in how the game wants you to play and how it wants you to upgrade and then how your play style can be influenced by how you're upgrading. Mm Because you could, depending on how you explore, obviously, you could go forever and only do you know two full things upgraded or you could grind and upgrade everything all the way but that's you know i'm not that much of a sadist i'm a sadist but i don't know about that (laughs) um no i think my all-in point was right at the point where the game told me hey you know when fewer words you can play this however you want to play this and you're going to be successful as long as you dedicate to one path and I, I really appreciate that about this game if you take nothing else away from this episode it's that death's door is approachable by any game player yeah so i would i would say that's that's a that's an accurate statement what this game i think really focuses on you know, the the message it wants to get across from you is less about the gameplay, I think, and more about the story that it wants to tell. Um, and <clears throat> so they they keep the gameplay balanced so that most people playing this will be able to see it through to the end. Yeah. Um, That's a good point. Yeah. I I think, for me, the moment that, that really I, I knew I was all in was um, The Witch's Mansion. I think that's when a lot of elements of the game start to come together. You yes. know, I, I love her character design. Yeah, I think she really does look like she walked out of a Miyazaki film. <laughs> um, I love that she taunts you in different rooms. Um, and that's where the exploration starts to, to branch out a little bit more, where you have to find all the crows in her, in her house. And it's where the combat starts to ramp up a little bit. Um, yeah, for so sure. That was when I kind of understood what the flow of the game was going to be. 
Um, and it was just, it was really exciting. I, I, I got sucked into this game and I was, you know, it was like, I was playing for hours at a time and not realizing where a day went. <laughs> well, I won't apologize because I was hoping that's what would happen. Yeah. There have been now four other people that I've convinced to play this game and they have all loved it as much as I have. So mm. I'm, I'm appreciative of the people that got me into it because I was the same way. So, um, I, I like that point about how the game opens up in that area, obviously being the first dungeon, like it probably, that's probably where it should have, but it, you're right. I mean, it was, it was just flawless the way that I executed. I love that area too. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that being said, like if we, I don't see a lot of value in, you know, talking a lot more about the, the other points, the other pieces of the game. Cause we've kind of beat it to death. Uh, the one thing I did want to ask you is um, cause I don't really think the game has any big issues or anything. If you could add more to this game, where would you see like, cause we're in the age where games are trying to find a way to extend their life cycles, live service models, things like that. Oh God. Yeah. And that, I'm not saying death door needs a live service model, but if this, would you ever see this getting any type of DLC and extra story arc, anything like that? I thought yeah. about this and I, I couldn't think of anything, but I'm not saying I wouldn't be mad if there was something I would definitely play it. I obviously, I loved all the mechanics of this game and uh, having more of that would be better. You know, just on the face of it, I think it would be a lot of fun to, to go back in and maybe have, you know, a boss rush or maybe like some combat arenas. But on the whole, this is a complete story. This is a complete narrative and everything that's in there feels like a complete package without a lot of like bloat on it. Everything is placed in a way that is purposeful, um, that has a, a really consistent and snappy pace where you're constantly going to different areas, finding new things at a really good clip that keeps you engaged and pushing forward. Um, so I, the, my only worry would be that extra content might disrupt that pacing. Um, that, that really is what makes the game so engaging. I agree. And I think that like, I was going to ask you like your overall opinion of the game too, but I think that like really sums it up, you know, mm. really well. Um, and that's I I'm not trying to just steal what you're saying, but I mean, I generally agree, you know, top to bottom with what you said. It's just it is a complete package the way it is. You get there's something for everyone here. It's accessible by everyone. The game lets you move at your own pace. It really doesn't rush you, not in like the pacing aspect, but you could play the game however you want to and yeah. be as slow or as fast as you want to and really still enjoy what the game wants you to enjoy. So all mm-hmm. in all. I can't recommend this game enough. Go play it. Definitely. Um, I think the only other question that I'll ask until we jump into our next segment, which I'm, I'm growing to love second opinions. I more and more, <laughs> the more, the more that I do it. Uh, and the more I listen to our previous episodes. Um, but the last question I want to ask you is, um, How do you how would you rank this up to other games that compare to this? And the reason I wanted to ask you that question is not just to you know checking it off the list of questions. That's because 
I'm curious as to what other games you would compare to this. Yeah. Um, Because, and maybe that'll open up another, you know, just avenue of discussion in general. But, you know, I, I was thinking about this question and going, you know, the, other games that I'm comparing to this are nothing like this game in a lot of yeah, ways. There's similarities, tricky. but like, you know, cause I've never played Titan souls, um, mm. only read and, you know, heard what you've had to say about it. But I, I would say though, you know, if I'm answering this question, if I were comparing this to the inspirations that this game draws from, I would say that it, it, executes what it wants to execute from those but it's it's completely different it stands on its own really really well um so if you're coming to this because you like uh excuse me you like souls games and you heard this as souls like or you like zelda and you've heard it's zelda like you are going to get what those people are comparing the game you're going to get that and it's going to feel fresh so Mm -hmm. if you're looking at it as a one-to-one comparison you're going to be disappointed um, but you are going to be delighted. So I guess that's what I'll say. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a pretty good way to look at it. You know, I, I've heard a lot of comparisons between this game and Hyperlight Drifter, but I haven't played Hyperlight Drifter, so I can't speak to that. Um, you know, uh, Link's Awakening, the remake, comes to mind as a, as a point of comparison. Um, you know, and I think this is honestly just as polished as that game with probably you know more nuanced combat because that's a bigger focus in this um yeah i would say one of the things that this game does really well is it wears its influences on its sleeve but it isn't just a, a mishmash of different systems it has an identity all its own um so you know you can see influences maybe from dark souls but don't tell anybody that i said that um <laughs> or or you know it's love of zelda games but rather than just try to copy that formula it's tried to take some influence from it and create something new and i think that's really admirable yeah just on that topic um in an interview I had read this. I just looked it up just to confirm it because there was one name I couldn't think of. But Mm -hmm. they had the developers of the game had said that they drew inspiration from Zelda and Dark Souls on creation, but they wanted to take the whole thing and they dipped it in uh, the aesthetic inspiration from Studio Ghibli. Hell yes. Which makes me like them all the more. (laughs) So I, I... Honestly, I really wasn't into Ghibli until this past year. Whenever you were like, "Dude, you gotta watch this!" and oh my, God, I've gotten yeah. into them. And there's honestly, it's been an emotional journey. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. But that's another topic of conversation for another day. <laughs> you could have a whole other podcast like this one dedicated to Ghibli films. One day we're just gonna do an episode <laughs> of post game content, and I don't care what game it says in the title. We're just gonna talk about Princess Mononoke. Oh, God. See, that's probably my favorite one that I've watched so far. So, <laughs> You know what's um, weird is how many parallels you can start to see between that game and Breath of the Wild. You're not wrong. Also, you know, it's funny now that I'm thinking about that. The Witch and the Witch of the Air Estate and the, uh, the Witch from uh, Spirited Away mm-hmm. or like the, the twin sisters from Spirited Away, they identical. They look yeah. exactly alike. Yes, they do. 
<laughs> they're their third sister. They're triplets. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, Max, uh, I have. Um, Is it we, that I think time? We've beat this game. <laughs> we've beat this game to death. Um, I was actually. Um, I had sent out a review that was kind of. I know I referenced it when we did our Metroid Dread. Uh, and I know you've read my Metroid Dread review. I had sent that out to a few other people, and they had said. Um, you know, I, I, re- I really like this, but I really wish that for this and the podcast, if you would give like a number system of some sort, and I'm going to say right now, that's not what we had intended. And I don't think either Max and I want to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not really what we're trying to get at. Cause we're really trying to dig into the aesthetic and the, how you feel after playing the game as opposed to what the game brings you. It's more like what you bring after you complete the game. So I think putting a number on it, it kind of defeats the purpose of what we're trying to accomplish here. So I wanted wanted to address that as to why we're not taking that. I didn't want you to think I was taking your ideas and just ignoring them. Um, But instead, I wanted to kind of confront that head on. That being said, I will say this about Death's Door. It's available and it's cheap and I can't recommend it enough. You know, you, I, I'm not going to give a number, but just go play it. There are very few flaws, and it's just it's up there as it's probably in the top two or three games of 2021 for me. So definitely yeah. give it a shot. Absolutely. Look, anything that we talk about this game is at least a tacit endorsement. Um, we won't talk about a game that we won't find interesting or worth playing in some way. Um, and and. If if you hear something when we talk about the game that is a, a real deal breaker for you, then you know you'll know to skip it. But more often than not, if you see a game listed on this podcast, you can consider it our go ahead to try it out. For sure, yeah. And I hope that you have you guys come to appreciate like what we have to say about the games and our opinions on the games, and and engage us in the conversation in the Discord too which the link will be down below. So, um, but Max, it's that time. Let's it's do it. that time. <laughs> it is time for second opinions. Uh, so this one was interesting because on the whole, um, the internet likes this game. They really do. <laughs> um, now that's not to say there weren't some stuff that I, I found to hurt me deeply on the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some, some other things. So, Keeping with tradition, Max, I hope you didn't look at what I have in the document here um, because I have the Metacritic uh, score for mm-hmm. you people out there wanting some scores. Um, I have the Metacritic uh, critic review score and the user review score. And I would like you to guess what both of those are okay. unless you've already looked at those numbers that I've put in there. I have not looked at those numbers. Okay. So... Given what I've said and what we've talked about, where would you think that both of those are sitting? Uh, I'll make a, a quick prediction first that I think the user score in this case is probably going to be higher than the critic score. Okay. I'll Critic score, I'll say... I'll say 79. And the only reason I'm saying... I know that's low for what we talk about in this... Um, I think generally they're a little bit more skeptical about these kind of indie games. Um, 
obviously that $20, that $20 price point can go to a lot of different games. And with something like Hades, like, you know, that's such a critic's darling. True. It's, it's, it's hard to make that, that jump. And okay. the, the user score, I'll say 89, maybe. I would assume most people who come to review this game probably had a positive experience with it. Okay. Um, interestingly enough, we actually have the exact opposite happen. Oh. So your critic, not score-wise, I mean, it was, it tip-toppled. The scores were actually remarkably close. Um, so the user review score was a 79. Really? So the user reviews are based out of 10. The critic scores are based out of 100, but the crit- the user rev- review score is 7.9, so 79 for all okay. intents and purposes. Uh, 7.9 user score and eight, uh, 85% critic score. Interesting. So, um, but now both great scores, but these, this actually, if you look at the numbers for user reviews of the three that games that we've reviewed thus far, this has the lowest ratings. That is baffling to me. I agree. I, <laughs> I thought the same thing. So, um, so yeah, so we'll jump into these now. I will say this. This was a good one because while we did have an average score of 85 for our Metacritic score, there were no scores that were like sub 65. Everything mm-hmm. was above that. Now, don't get me wrong. There was the one or two that was like 10%. This game offered me nothing and it was trash. Like, I've just, I don't There's always those guys. Those. Yeah, yeah that they, they tell me nothing. I only am going to start including reviews that give me a reason, a valid reason that I can tell them why they're wrong. <laughs> uh, so, coming in first, uh, this review comes from Game World Navigator Magazines. They gave it a sixty-eight percent, and okay. says the setting is intriguing, but the story is bland. Open world, which this game is not open world, by the way. Mm. Uh, Open world promises exploration, but there's nothing to find. The combat has all the beats, but just isn't interesting. I'll let you you start on that one. You hit the nail on the head that it's not an open world game. Um, The story is bland, I feel like. It's just such an unwillingness to, like engage with the material yeah um and by the way when you start out in like the the bureaucratic office of the afterlife calling the story (laughs) bland is just i i think rude i think that's rude is what that is um this the combat has all the beats but just isn't interesting that one really bums me out because it's so nonspecific. There isn't anything to latch on to there because it has all the beats. They know that this is a good combat system, that it's polished and refined. There's something about it that isn't clicking for them. And rather than try to, you know, take a little bit of a self-critical look and see what that actually is, they've just written it off in a way that's kind of lazy. That That bothers me. Yeah, I was thinking about this one, specifically about the combat piece, too. And it's almost like they were just maybe they played through the whole game. One, whoever they gave this game to to review had no interest in playing it right off the bat. Yeah. Two, um, it looks like they just 
use maybe they thought they just needed to use whatever weapon they found so they just weren't clicking with anything so they didn't vibe with any weapon and i don't know clearly regardless this this reviewer lacked an understanding of the combat system because you're right it's very refined it's very specific it's very open and how you know we've discussed all that you know top to bottom it's very fluid so to say it's not interesting is actually completely just off base yeah i don't think that's fair like maybe you could make the argument um and if if i had to like say a criticism of of this game i do wish the combat got a little bit more difficult towards the end game you know where we have an introductory period where they show you the mechanics and then things really ramp up around like the witch's uh the witch's mansion and then things kind of stay at that difficulty through most of the game, which is fine and creates a really, like, consistent experience. But having one more ramp up in difficulty, I think, would have been really interesting. And the game mechanics could have carried that. Yeah, I agree. And I, if, I'd had to, if I had to add a criticism that would have made this review better, I would have said that more of a reliance on some of the abilities outside of traversal would have made it better. Like I mm. didn't use the hook shot for combat at all in yeah. any way. And that's what it's meant to be a magic item used for like combat. And you even unlock an extra ability with it to make it more combat centric, but they didn't, I felt like at the end of the game, there was a little bit of a lack of um, variability and how it wanted you to utilize some of those things to make the combat more interesting. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a valid concern, but just saying it wasn't interesting is not accurate. That's not fair. It was interesting to me the entire time, yeah. combat-wise. Yeah. So, all right. Um, so, Get Wrecked Game World Magazine navigator whatever you shut are. the fuck up. <laughs> just straight up get the fuck out of here uh you're wrong moving on uh i actually forgot to paste who the name of this reviewer was so you'll rename anonymous for now till i find you and kill you oh my uh, god <laughs> just kidding you're it's a company i can't kill a company at least i mean i can but there's no ramifications for that um so this reviewer gave it a 72, which again, not terrible. Um, no. It says, <laughs> this, is, this is funny already. It's high difficulty, sometimes artificial, and its art direction make it a must-try video game. However, it can be frustrating due to the lack of maps, unnecessary difficulty peaks, and some bugs that make the experience worse. <laughs> Um, so what I like about this one is that it is the exact opposite of what we were just talking about <laughs> with the unnecessary difficulty peaks, which is just not true. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> That's why I was excited to do this one, too, after yeah. we talked about that. <laughs> um, thank God. I, I assumed they were going to be critical of the difficulty, which, come on, um, <laughs> narrative and art style. <laughs> Which, like, if you have anything bad to say about the art direction in this game, like, just, I don't know, wipe yourself off. You, there's, <laughs> there's no joy left in the world for you. Now, well, they did say it's difficulty and the art direction make it a must try. No, I so know. They, I'm saying, like, I, I thought that's what they were about to lay into. Oh, and okay, okay. I felt my blood pressure <laughs> spike. Yeah, I, I don't 
really agree with, you know, obviously with the difficulty peaks, we've discussed the lack of maps kind of at the beginning of this. I don't, mm. I don't think this game needs maps, honestly. I think, like I said, maybe if you've beat an entire area and you've already beaten the boss, maybe you get a map, you know, that's fine. Yeah. I don't think it needs anything. Um, ultimately, I did. I can't think of a single bug I had in this entire game. I can't think yeah. of a single time that this game was it's just, it was just so polished. So I'm I'm putting that one on the shelf, and I'm only saying that because we didn't play this game at launch, true. Uh, when That's it would true. typically be reviewed. So I don't know. I would I have a hard time imagining it was particularly messy. But if it was, then uh, sucks for you. Boot it up again. Right. Yeah. Well, the only reason I I critique that is because I read probably thirty or forty reviews of this. I always, whenever I was looking through these Metacritics, and even before I bought the game, I wanted mm. to see what. There were zero mentions of bugs, in all the reviews, other than this one. So, and even on Steam, people didn't have anything to say about the review or the the bugs. So, you're right. Maybe this is a day one review, um, but. You know, or maybe it was even a review copy. I don't know. That could be. Um, or he's playing it on like an iMac. <laughs> wow, dude! <laughs> Welcome to the 21st century. <laughs> <laughs> he's got one of the like the translucent blue ones. <laughs> now, now, don't get me wrong. Oh, that's an eMac. All right. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're right. That's my bad. Uh, don't get me wrong. I like Mac. You know, I don't use it as my primary machine. Now, my recording station is a Mac, but that's. <laughs> that's besides the point this is a weird time to try to get a sponsorship deal michael <laughs> tim cook sponsor me <laughs> this is going to be the best podcast yet <laughs> oh man um so yeah there you guys have it that's our second rev- uh second opinion segment um always <laughs> always a really good time um it's it's always interesting to me to see these like other i i wish that like they published the circumstance of the review like mm-hmm. this this is when we reviewed it this is who reviewed it <laughs> they want they lost the lottery on which game to review didn't want to review this yeah. like that was part of it so we could kind of frame the review because that would make things just that would make so much more sense it would also you can make tell sense. a little bit yeah it's like when peppa pig got an 8.9 out of out of 10 on its recent release of a game and they're like, okay, well, did you have a four-year-old review this game? Like, just so it could get a good score? Like, okay. To be clear, that game's a masterpiece. <laughs> I'm sure you I have, think so, Max. I haven't I beat could... it yet, but I'm getting pretty good. <laughs> uh, just c- consider this a virtual pat on the pat on the head. I'm sure it is. <laughs> the combat's tough, man. I don't want to tell you. <laughs> what, yelling at mom and dad? <laughs> no, that's what I do while I'm playing Peppa Pig. <laughs> <laughs> Are you winning, son? (laughs) Shut up, Dad. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, as always, everyone, thanks for listening to yet another episode of Postgame Content. We hope you guys are enjoying what we've released so far. I know myself, I enjoy, if nothing else, escaping to just discuss (laughs) video games. Um, And this is one I've had kind of bottled up because we've been kind of battling things on and off. I've had some back problems, deaths in the family. happening recently so i just well i wanted to get this one off my chest before whatever other life event is, <laughs> is about to be tossed my way so um thank you max for taking the time and getting this one out with me 
Yeah, thank you for recommending this game, Michael. This was a... I don't think I would have picked this up because I had a really, like, bad misconception of what this game was. I thought it was, like, a roguelike or something. Um, so I was pleasantly surprised the whole way through about what a what a gem this was. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you've recommended tons of stuff to me, and I, I like that that's where this podcast is headed, or at least what this podcast is is becoming, where it's opened up the door to where if if you come to me and you're like, Michael, you absolutely have to play this game. That's the game that goes to the top of my wish list. Cause I'm like, all right, Max gets me. He knows what I like. <laughs> we think a lot of the same. So that's something I'm really going to get into. And that hasn't happened yet to where I haven't been super attached. The only one so far that has is outer wilds. And I really still, am trying to give it an honest shot because I'm trying to connect with it. Sure. Uh, Cause I'm so fucking confused still. Um, <laughs> But that being said, um, that goes beyond the point. We hope that, you know, from listening to this kind of type of thing, if you guys uh, still haven't played any of these games after listening to the show, go out and, you know, do yourself a favor and check these things out. You know, we 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 don't do this because, you know, we hate these things. Um, we're not paid by the by the developers. We're not sponsored by any of these these companies. We pay out of pocket for all these things. We don't get them for free. So. You know, we, you know, if we're, we're spending the money and we're taking our time to do this, you know, obviously we, we can't recommend these games enough. So for sure. Uh, that being said, um, if you guys want to continue the conversation, because I would love to, and if you guys have a different take or things that you know about the game or fun facts, anything like that, join us in the discord, uh, the post game content discord in the link down below in the description, uh, that'll jump you in there. We have a thread open for every channel. There's some other stuff in there. We'll do announcements, uh, all types of stuff, anything that we're doing. And I pretty much live in Discord. So <laughs> you can pretty confidently say that if you post something there within an hour or two, I'm probably going to respond, if not <laughs> or immediately. So I have a sad, depressing, miserable life, and I long for the affection of strangers in the uh, context of discord. So please come and make my life less miserable. <laughs> uh, that's what Max and I do pretty much all day. We work and talk to each other in discord about video games. It's pretty much it. Yeah. It's that or a lot of Lord of the Rings and dark souls memes. I, I <laughs> what was it that we said the other day? It was, we were sending each other dark souls memes and you're like something about our conversations uh, are almost entirely made up of of dick jokes and Dark Souls memes, and it we had made the comment that, you know, generally speaking, we could tell how both of us are yeah. doing exclusively from those things as well, based on how dark <laughs> the memes are. <laughs> <laughs> Do we and we never had to stop and be like, "Yo, okay, man, we just alter the meme to change the attitude." Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, but uh, so feel free to jump in there and you know, talk to us. We're more than happy to continue to discuss those games with you guys. Um, before I do my, my closing and our final calls to action, things like that, Max, anything you want to say, final thoughts about the game, call outs to the community, anything like that? You know, it's always really inspiring to see a game with this much polish and this much thought and love put into it, put together by like two guys. Um, that's one of my favorite things about the current indie scene is seeing how many cool projects with a lot of original ideas get, you know, up off the ground and get a lot of publicity. Um, 
I, I think given how I think the AAA market is kind of stagnating to a certain degree and starting to become more homogenous, we're seeing a lot of uh, new ideas coming from, um, you know, unexpected places. And this is a great example of that. That's a that's a great point. You know, I could I could talk all day. We're not a news podcast by any means. And obviously, if you know video games, you know all the stuff that's happening. But I, I hope that with other companies being acquired, that little companies like this continue to get the spotlight and continue to bring forward these types of gems and they're rewarded for it. 100% um, agreed. Yeah. And I, I, I can't agree enough with that sentiment. So, um, that being said, if you listen to the show and you like it, do us a favor, tell a friend, tell your mom, tell your dad, tell your grandma, tell your dog. I don't care. Tell everybody about it. Tell your uh, mom. Yeah. I said, what's up? <laughs> she'll, she'll remember. Uh, <laughs> she won't. It's the, it's the man with the mustache. She'll know. She'll know. <laughs> it's Max from, from school. <laughs> <laughs> um, as much as sharing our stuff on social media and engaging with us on uh, in Discord, obviously we appreciate all that kind of stuff. The best way for us to grow is for you guys to tell someone about the show. Whoever you know, if you listen to this, I guarantee you have five to ten friends that love video games that might even love the same games that you do. So tell them about it. Maybe they'll listen to it. Uh, and if you have the ability to leave us a leave us a review, obviously we'd love to have your five star review um, and rating from you guys. But if you feel like we have um, the ability to improve, feel free to let us know that too, preferably in discord, you know, cause that <laughs> does hurt us if you leave us a crap review. But if you really think we suck, you know, I would prefer your honesty. So <laughs> can't blame you. <laughs> I also think that I suck. So, <laughs> um, that being said, Max, thank you for, uh, joining me here today. As always. Thank you, Michael. Yep. And, I would be hard-pressed to say this is probably going to be our last episode until Elden Ring comes out. So just know that, assuming this probably will come out after Elden Ring's release, Max and I are, you know, pretty balls deep probably in another deep into it. universe. Oh, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> as he twists his mustache and closes his eyes and goes, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I wish you guys could see that. <laughs> Maybe one day we'll get together and do a live podcast. That would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> once once this kicks off. But anyway, I appreciate you taking the time. And as always, we will catch you guys in the next episode. Thanks for listening.